Well, good morning, guys. Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to jump in. We've been uh, walking through Philippians for, for a couple of months now, and we're going to keep going with this as we go through. And some of you are like, aren't you going to do an Easter message? Yes, every morning's an Easter message here, um, because every morning we talk about the gospel and what Jesus has done and not what we do to get to God. Um, so... I love to study. I love to study organizations and leadership. I'm always reading a leadership book. I love to study companies and kind of how they do what they do. And I feel like churches can learn a lot from watching good, successful companies. And um, here's one thing that we see with good, successful businesses. They usually know kind of what their one thing is. And you're like, well, make money. Every business wants to make money, right? But not every business makes money because what successful companies do is they figure out, okay, if our goal is like to make money and have a profit, what is that one thing that we need to do? Like what's that one driver, that critical issue that if we do this will actually help us make our goal? Unsuccessful companies have 22 things that they do to try to get to their goal. Successful ones have like one or two and they say, this is the critical thing. Uh, I was doing some research this week, came across uh, Zappos shoes. Any of you guys ever ordered from Zappos? I'm sure some of the college students have. So here's Zappos shoes. Their one thing is customer service. That, that is their deal. It's not marketing. It's not promotion. It's not, it is customer service, meaning if they can get a person to buy one time, their goal is let's make that person have the best experience ever where we get a lifetime customer because we need shoes, Right. And so their, their goal is customer service, uh, and that is their one thing. And it's so much their one thing that they hire around it, and whenever they hire someone at Zappos, right before they offer them the job, they tell them, we're going to offer you $2,500 to not take this job. Now some of you are like, dude, I've got to apply to that place, right? We're going to offer you $2,500 not to take this job. Why do they do that? Because they want people on their team that love the company, love the culture, and want to be there. They're about that one thing, customer service, and that one thing drives everything that they do. And if you shop at Walmart, you know what their one thing is? Low prices. So you're not going to walk into Walmart today and see some really cool, like, cultural thing, music playing, all the, all the people dressed in hip clothes. You're not going to see that. You're going to see bland. Everything's the same. Why? Their one thing is low prices. That'll give us our profit. This idea of the power of one thing. Well, we're going to see today Paul's one thing his ultimate goal, and then the one thing that he does, the one driver, the one critical thing that pushes him to that goal. In Philippians chapter 3, we're going to recap a little bit verse 3 where we've been the past few weeks to catch some of you up, and then we're going to get into today. Here's what he says. For we are the circumcision, meaning we are the, the body of Christ, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh, or put no confidence in ourselves. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's, and Paul's going to give us his resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, means he was a religious leader, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, like he was so sold out that he was trying to kill all the Christians that were against what he believed. As for righteousness under the law, as for, as for following the rules, blameless. 
But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We're starting to hone in on Paul's one thing. He said Christ has a surpassing worth or value that's better than everything else he's listed. Verse, uh, let me see, I lost my hand. Okay, verse 9. Uh, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything a loss because surpassing worth in knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all those things. He just listened, and I count them as rubbish. If you were here a few weeks ago, Brad bought, uh, brought in a, a cow pile, some dung. He actually had about 12 words to describe poop in that message. I don't know if you remember that. And he said, basically what Paul's saying, everything else compared to Christ was, was that. I count him as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own or on my own achievements that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Here, here's Paul's one thing, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So Paul's great goal in life, his great ambition, he tells us right here, where a business will say our goal is to make money, Paul's great ambition for his life is to know Christ. And he's going to say that Christ is the greatest treasure to be known. He's the source of all joy. Paul's number one ambition, the goal of his life is to know Christ. And he even says in the power of his resurrection, which you're like... Why is, the, why is the resurrection such a big deal? It's Easter Sunday. Here's why it's a big deal. If Jesus did not rise, then he is still dead and our sin is not atoned for. Jesus had to rise to show that he had power over sin and death. And so Paul says, this treasure that's Christ, I want to know him and I want to, like, I want to tap into that power. I want to know that power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's his goal. And now in this passage, we're going to see, okay, that's a great goal, but how do I get there? How do I get to that goal of knowing Christ, of seeing Christ as a treasure, of pursuing him above all things? And he's going to tell us, verse 12, 12 and 13, he's going to tell us what's his main, his one driver that gets him there. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, which is his ultimate goal of knowing Christ intimately. Not that I've already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, verse 12 is so key here. Look what he says. Not that I've already obtained this. Like Paul hasn't arrived yet. Paul's not saying, you know what? <clears throat> I'm a pretty good Christian, and everyone should be like me because I have figured out. No, here's what he says. The, I have this goal to know Christ, to treasure him above all things. But here's what he says. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't obtained that yet. Paul has this kind of holy dissatisfaction like, I realize I'm not there yet. Now, he previously had thought he was there, and that's what he talked about. He listed, like, I used to put confidence in that I was a Hebrew, and I was of a certain tribe, and I was a certain people group, and I, and I did all the right things. Like, he used to put confidence in a certain thing. He used to think he had arrived. And now he says, actually, I haven't arrived. 
And that's why Brad this morning, is my, before this, this little introduction, said, Welcome to Hill City because we're a place where broken people are becoming made new because no one has arrived. None of us. And maybe some of you have been hurt before in a church because you came to a church and there's this sense of like, okay, now you got to act this certain way. And you kind of felt like, man, everyone here thinks they like have it all together. And I'm obviously the outsider. One of the reasons at Hill, at Hill City that we confess our sin together corporately is we remind ourselves weekly, we have not arrived. No one here, no one has a place to stand up and say, look at all the good things I have done. No one. Like, here's what I'll tell you at Hill City. There's no need to pretend. Like some of you, I, I know how it works. I have, I have little kids. Some of you, you know, yelled at your kids to get them in the car and you're driving over, you're mad going to church, it's raining outside and you're walking, oh, hi, good morning. Oh, blessed day. Jesus has risen, Right? We don't have to do that because there's not this facade around here that I have to be perfect and have my life all together for God to accept me. Here's what we come. We come as broken people who declare I'm broken, but Jesus is making me new and I'm a work in progress. I ain't there yet, but I'm also not going to give up. I'm not going to make this crutch that says, well, I'm just human. Paul says he has this prize this goal of knowing Jesus. And he says, I want to press on to make it my own. Other, other translations, you've had the NIV, it'll say press, I want to press on to take hold. So he has this goal. He wants to know Christ. He wants to treasure Christ above everything. And he's like, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep grabbing a hold. I want to reach for Christ. This image should go through your mind of this runner, this athlete who has this prize in front of them. They've been running for it and they're, and they're reaching out to take hold. Now, don't misinterpret that, interpret that as, so I need to go, go chase after God. I need to go reach for God. I need to do something to get myself to God because look what he says. I press on to make it my own or take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Do you see what he did? So He's reaching for the prize, and then he realizes the prize already has a hold of him. I press on to reach for the prize, but the prize, he already has me because the prize is Jesus. I want to emphasize to us today, because we, man, we are in America, Bible Belt, and the way the, the way the Bible Belt operates is I do certain things to make God proud of me. And I, I want to destroy that argument today. Because even as Paul says that he's reaching forward to take this prize, like he's going to work with effort, he realizes the prize already has him in his grasp. Salvation belongs to the Lord, the Bible says. Not salvation belongs to Daniel to grab a hold of. His ambition to know Christ he said, I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress, but I'm straining forward. I'm, I'm leaning. I'm reaching forward. And the whole time I realized actually Christ has me. Like, here's the deal. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Do you realize that about Paul? 
Like he was on his way to go kill some Christians. And all of a sudden Jesus comes and says, "Uh, Paul, this is my translation. I'm not going to let you do that today. And that's some of your stories. Like here, here are some of your stories is I started coming to church to mock this thing. A friend of mine, I'm like, yeah, I need a good laugh. I'll go into this. And then you came and you're like, that eh, was pretty stupid. But I'll come back. And you came back and it's like, hmm. Ah. And then a few weeks later and, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I actually believe this thing. Like some of you are straight up duped into faith. And it was God that did it all. And if you're a little honest, the whole idea of, it's a little crazy of faith. Can, can we be real here for a second? A poor Jewish carpenter recruited 12 dudes, claimed he was God, went around and did a few miracles, um, was betrayed by one of those dudes, and then was put on a cross and killed by the, by the government as a criminal, criminal. But then those dudes said that he rose three days later and now we're here. Like, it's a crazy story. Can we admit it? I mean, it, it, it's a little bit coming out of a fairy tale book. But some, so many of us are like, I just believe it. We don't reach for God. God grabs a hold of us and then we cling on. That's what we see in the Bible. Read through those baptism stories. These people that we baptize, they weren't looking for Jesus. As a matter of fact, they were running really hard the other way. And Jesus kind of put out his foot and made them fall down and said, all right, here I am, let's do this thing. So Paul has this ambition, he has this goal, and he wants to know Christ, he wants to treasure Christ above all things. Okay, it's a cute goal, great Paul, wonderful. How are we going to do that? Look what he says, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, do you get that phrase? But one thing I do. We're going to see what Paul, what it's Paul's one driver to get in that goal of treasuring Christ. One thing I do. There's so much power in one thing. I don't know if you, some of you guys have done this before. Like you, you, you know, get to February, it's been a long, hard winter. You look in the mirror and you're like, okay, swimsuit season is three months away, four months away. I got to lose weight. And then here's what many of you do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start exercising six times a day. I'm going to do whole 30. I'm going to do this. And you, you create a list, right? How long does it last? Four days? Maybe, maybe five. Maybe five. Right? Here's why. It's because you have a list of about 15 things you're going to start doing. Here's what Paul's going to teach us and successful pe- people will teach us in our society. Do one thing. And making one change and how that will affect everything else. So Paul says, here's one thing. One thing I do to get to that goal of treasuring Christ, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. You know what keeps people from knowing Christ and treasuring Christ? It's what they're holding on to from the past. It's the number one thing that keeps people from knowing and treasuring Christ is what they're holding on to. It's the idea of looking in the rearview mirror instead of the windshield and thinking you're going to get somewhere. One thing that maybe keep many of you from treasuring Christ this morning is what you're holding on to from the past. For some of you, it's failure. 
And some of you came this morning, you didn't need Brad or I to tell you that we're broken. You're like, yeah, dang right, I'm broken. And when you look back in the past, it's just a list of mistakes. And you really can't move forward because you're too busy looking in the past, still trying to pay for all those mistakes. We call that penance. Still trying to pay for your sins. And this past that you kind of continue to live in and, and just remind yourself of, it, it keeps you from looking forward to the prize. Like you, you're, just, you're just looking in the past. And you say things like, well, you don't understand, Hood. I've, I've heard a lot of people. I've heard a lot of people. Dude, Paul, he killed Christians. Maybe you know, well, I don't want to ask if any of you have done that, but Hood, oh, you don't understand, man. Dude, I'm still hungover from last night. Yeah. But if you continue to live in that, you're going to continue to repeat that pattern. The thing that keeps you from treasuring Christ is you're too busy looking at the past mistakes. Yeah, Daniel, but I had an abortion. How could God, how could God love me? And you're looking in the past, and you replay the past, and you're not looking to what's in front, the prize. See, many of you believe, it, many of you watch these baptisms, and you're like, it's, it's great for those people. I'm really happy for those people. But there's no way God could do that to me. There's no way. Which is funny, because I know one of those people that got baptized said that a few months ago. Some of you thought about coming to church on Easter, like oh, the church would fall in on me if I walked through that door. Well, it's a hotel. Good, you're fine. <laughs> Some of you are like, sounds great, Hood, but I'm too far gone. Can I tell you, that's why I love my job. Because every single week I get to walk with people that thought they were too far gone and thought there was no hope. I get to celebrate with them as we dunk them and they claim, no, there is hope, but it's not me I'm hoping in. The thing that's keeping many of you from moving forward to pursue Christ is what you're living in from the past. And Paul's going to say, let's forget what's behind and let's start reaching forward. Like if that's you, here's what I'll tell you. The gospel is more powerful than your sin. Like if that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, do you think he can deal? Like if he can raise Jesus from the dead, can he deal with your addiction? Can he, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, like if God can do that, you think he can deal with your insecurities and your issues of control? Dude, Paul, Paul had a past. And that guy could have lived in that past. I mean, he had a past. And he says, I'm not going to look what's behind. I'm going to strain forward to what's ahead. Many of you, what's keeping you from moving ahead is living in the past with your failures. But here's many of us, especially on Easter Sunday. The, keep, the thing that's keeping us from treasuring Christ and living ahead is not our past failures. It is our past achievements. 
When I read this text, I always think, you guys remember, in the, in those of you that were alive in the mid-2000s, there was this movie that kind of came up for about three months and came down about as fast um, called Napoleon Dynamite. Anyone ever remember that one? Right? And I always think of Uncle Rico, you know, back in 82, he used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile, you know, that type of thing. Like just living in the, in the past success. But here's what's keeping many of us from treasuring Christ, especially in Springfield, Missouri, Bible Belt, religious hub of America. This is what's keeping many of us is religious achievements. We're looking back and we have this goal, like most of you are here because you have this goal, like I want to know God, I want to get to heaven when I die, however you would articulate that. Most of you want that, but what's keeping you from treasuring Christ is you look back and you think, how am I going to get there? You're looking back and you're thinking, it's because of my religious achievements. So, hey, God, I came to church, it's Easter, I came to church. I'll be back at Christmas, God, just to remind you that I'm still here. Many of you are looking back and you're looking back to see, well, how can I get to God? Well, God, I'm a good person. Matter of fact, compared to my friend, I'm a really good person. Compared to my boss, I'm an excellent person. And, and you're looking back at past achievements of being a good person. Many of you, hey, God, remember back then I got baptized. I got baptized. Now, remember one time that preacher said, if I want to come down front and say a prayer that I get saved. Remember, God, I did that one time. Many of you, the thing that's keeping you treasuring Christ is your past achievements. Here's why. You don't need Jesus anymore. God, I did that. I got that. I'm good. And so there's really no need to keep living and reaching for and, and pursuing and treasuring Christ because you needed him back there, but you don't really need him now because you already achieved those things. Here's what Paul's going to say. His standing with God is not based on his religious performance, past or present. His standing with God is based on Jesus and his death on the cross, period. That's what he's going to tell us. And the thing that makes him treasure Christ above all things is he realizes his need for Christ even today. The biggest misconception in America is that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That is a lie out of cultural Christianity. Because here's what the Bible teaches. There ain't no good people. We're all wicked and we all deserve hell. And on our own devices, trying to get to our own, all of us are doomed, but that he sent Jesus to come and live a perfect life and take our death. That's our ticket to him, not our religious performance. So if there's anything you get today out of this, I want you to hear that you cannot perform a certain amount of religious things to get yourself to God. It ain't enough. And so Paul says, I forget what's behind. Like I'm not holding on to what's behind, whether it's my failures or whether it's my success. I'm not going to hold on to that, but I'm going to reach forward. I'm going to press on towards the goal for the prize. And what's his prize? A fuller knowledge of Christ. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Guys, the goal is Jesus, not heaven. The goal is Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to have an affection for Christ. I want to treasure Christ above all things here. And then one day, yeah, in heaven with him forever, where there's no more sin. And I can just, just have a party and not have to worry about it. 
His goal is to treasure Christ above all things because, as the Bible would claim, Christ is the greatest treasure. So Jesus tells a story. He's uh, hanging out with his disciples. He's teaching. He says, there's one time this man was walking across a field. As a man's walking across a field, he comes across a treasure. And he, he opens it and he, and he realizes that this treasure is a treasure of like the highest value. The problem is he doesn't own the field. Now I don't know what he's doing digging up a hole in the field if he didn't own it. But it's, uh, the problem is he doesn't own the field and he finds this treasure that's worth a bunch. So here's what he does. He buries the treasure back in the field and then he goes to his house and here's what he says. You know what? That treasure... I got to have that. That's the greatest treasure ever. I got to buy that field. Here's the problem. He don't have any money. And so here's what he has to do. He has to sell every single thing he has. He has to sell it all to try to get enough money because he's got this goal of this treasure. And he sells it all except for he has this one car that's pretty cool. He likes, so he's like, okay, I'm going to sell it all, but I'm going to keep these car keys in my pocket because not that. So he goes to buy this treasure and he gets ready to pay for it, and the guy's like, hey, you're, uh, you're $2,000 short. And so he's like, car keys, boom, here you go. And he buys the treasure, buys the field to have the treasure. Like, what's the point of that story? Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm the treasure. And someone that really sees me for what I am will sell it all, even the thing they want to hold on to the most. They'll sell it all to go after that treasure. Here's what many of us are going to have to wrestle with today. Do I trust God? Because Jesus doesn't give us room for half-hearted obedience. And um, if I can just be real honest, I've been doing, doing this a long time, and um, Easter Sunday is always a Sunday of tension for me. And it's exciting, it's fun. But here's what I know. Some of you I kind of have one chance with. And one of my greatest tensions is, is um, because we live in America in the Bible Belt, is we have this culture that says, yeah, I go to church on Easter and Christmas, and, and I, yeah, I love God and all that. And here's what I'll tell you. Um, I love you enough to tell you you've missed the treasure. The treasure's not church. The treasure's not just getting heaven some way. The treasure is knowing Christ and treasuring Him above all things. And some of you have to wrestle with the question, do I trust God? Because here's what all of us would say, like, I want to live a great life. True? Like anyone here, like, I just want my life to be so-so. No, we all, we all want to live a great life. But here's what we all have to wrestle with. Do I trust God that His way is a more fulfilling life than my way. Do I trust Him with that? Like Many of you think you tried Christianity and you got really bored with it. Here's the deal. You didn't try Christianity. You tried religion. And I would get bored with that too. Here's what Jesus says in John 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly here's what Jesus is going to claim he is the greatest treasure because he offers the most abundant life
And he's, yes, is he talking about eternity? Of course, life abundantly with him forever. But I'm going to argue that he's also talking about today. Now, don't hear that and say, oh, sweet. Jesus wants to give me a nice car and a nice house. That's not what I'm saying. Not going prosperity gospel here on us. But when he says, I've come that they may have life abundantly, here's what Jesus is saying. If you will follow me, I promise you that my way of living is the most abundant. It will lead to the most joy. And we're going to have to wrestle with, do I trust God that Jesus actually is the greatest treasure and following him and living and serving him and loving him actually will lead me to the most abundant life and the most joy? Many of you don't believe it. And you would say, no, actually, I think getting a bunch of stuff will lead to me to the most joy. Or many of you, I think just traveling the world and, and doing all that will lead me to the most joy. And here's what Jesus is going to claim. Actually, no, I'm the source of all joy. Now, those things are great, stuff and travel. I, I like both of them. But don't look to those as your God. So Jesus is going to claim that his way is the best way to live. Let's think about it. What's he teach? Don't, don't steal. My car gets broken into about every three weeks at our house, it seems like. Um, my life would be better if people wouldn't steal. Don't kill. That's what can give you that one. How about this? Don't worry. How many of you waste your life worrying? Here's what Jesus is going to claim. Hey, you want to live abundantly? Don't worry. Like, I got this. Here's what Jesus would teach. Hey, love your enemies. Would your life be better if you didn't hold grudges? And just love your enemies and treat them nice. Here's what Jesus would tell me, Daniel, your life's going to be better if you're a one-woman man. So we have to think about, we have to wrestle with, do I trust God? Do I trust that He, that Jesus is the way of abundance? Do I trust that Jesus is the ultimate treasure for joy. Now, here's the deal. I don't always get to do what I want to do. There's times in the moment that my happiness is not, I don't like it because I don't always, I have to forgive and sometimes I don't want to. But Jesus is going to claim that he is the treasure. And so Paul says, you know what? I've done a bunch of things and I've come to learn that Jesus is the greatest treasure. So he's my goal. Here's one thing I do. I forget what's behind. I press on to what's forward. So the one driver for him, the one thing for Paul is to quit looking behind and look forward to the greatest treasure. Here's my question for you today, for all of us. What's your one thing that you need to do to treasure Christ more? What's the one thing? What is the one thing you could do to pursue the one thing that matters the most? All of us wrestle with this. I didn't say 14 things. All right, I'm going to start going to church. I remember I was talking to one of our students who got baptized a few months ago, and uh, she came to talk through some things, and I was like, hey, uh, I, you know, she told me her life, I have no hope, all that sort of thing. I was like, actually, you do have hope. And she's like, okay, but I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to go to Bible study. I'm going to do this on Thursday night. And she gave me a list of things. And I was like, uh, just stop. What if we just do one thing? And let's start learning the gospel. And for about six weeks, we focused on one thing, and that one thing changed everything. What's the one thing you could do to pursue the one thing that matters the most? Paul says his one thing, 
is forget what's behind. What's your one thing? It's one thing you can do because by faith we're saying Christ is the greatest treasure. And some of you don't even believe that yet, and that's okay. Okay, I'm going I'm to try this out. I'm going to try out Jesus is the greatest treasure. What's one thing you can do? For some of you, that one thing is you need to respond to the gospel. You've been, you've been coming to Hill City, you've been in a small, like you've heard the gospel preached, and you know, you know what, it's time for me to let go of what's behind, and I just need to respond to the gospel. I need to believe in Christ, I need to turn from my sins, I need to get baptized. Maybe that's your one thing. For some of you, you've, res- you've responded to the gospel, you never got, have gotten baptized. Maybe that's your one thing. We have another one coming up on our one-year celebration. If you want to get baptized, let us know about that. For some of you, one thing may be this. That Hill City 101 that Brad talked about, we're starting it next week. It's just Brad and I with 2 to 20 people, whoever shows up. Go to that connections table and be like, hey, all I've known is religion. I need to learn what this Jesus, what this gospel thing is, and come to that. Let's have a conversation. Maybe that's your one thing. For some of you, we talked about it last week, Hill City folks. For some of you, your one thing to treasure Christ more is to share your story for the first time. Just the first time ever and see God work through your life. For some of you, it's a mission trip. For some of you, it's you need to be generous. God's blessed you with a lot. And you just need to say, you know what? I need to be generous. And that's my one thing. I'm going to treasure Christ above all. And that even means some of the things that I own. You need to lean into generosity. What is the one thing that you need to do to pursue the one thing that matters the most? I'm going to, I'm going to challenge us all to write that down today before we leave. And let's see if one thing doesn't trickle down in our lives. So Paul says, I press on. I'm straining forward towards this prize. Let's not miss the struggle here. This isn't Paul. You know what? It's easy for me to let go of all that stuff in the past, and I'm perfect now, and I just know. Here's what, like, here's what he's saying. All, every day, Paul wants to grab back a hold. Every single day, he's like, I want to come back over here, and I want to grab a hold of what's in the past. But he says, no, every day I'm going to strain forward. I'm going to press on. Like Those are verbs of struggle. Some of you are like, why is the Christian life so hard? It's because there's still this sin in us that wants to always reach back. And it's a fight. And for some of you, you're in that tension, you're in that fight, and here's what I encourage you. Let that fight be your evidence that you're actually in the faith because people that aren't in the faith don't wrestle with that fight. They just show up to church and do their thing. And it's actually in that straining forward, in that reaching, in that pressing, that I can be assured that I actually believe this thing. So Paul says, I press on towards the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. is Jesus, Jesus as the greatest treasure. And he doesn't do it based on his religious performance. He does it because Christ died for him. And he trusts completely in Christ's death, not the past. Hill City Church believers, as we take communion this morning, May you understand that it's not your past achievements or failures that determine your standing with God. May we continue to press forward to take hold of the prize, Jesus, but may we realize that He's already got a hold of us.